you are a divided person and we live in a divided world. They say we're more polarized than ever. Republican, Democrat, Black Lives, Blue Lives. But what if the world outside us being more divided than ever is actually an outgrowth of the fact that the people inside of us are more divided than ever? This is how to be a whole person. I want to start with the audio of a video produced by CGP Gray. I pulled this straight off of YouTube and it's called You Are Two. Your brain is two brains, two hemispheres, each doing half the work of being you. Half your vision goes to each and half your movement directed by each. Right controls left and left controls right. Your two brains coordinate through a wire of nerves, but this wire can be cut and was, for a time, used as an epilepsy treatment. After the cut, people seemed the same, though their brain was split in twain. Except some post-split patients described that while selecting their morning outfit with right hand, left might come along to disagree. Actually, left hand might quite often disagree, which these split brain patients found frustrating. What's happening? To investigate, remember, right brain sees and controls one half, while left brain controls and sees the other. But only left brain can speak. Hello. Because that's where the speech center is located. Right brain without this is mute. In normal brains, this doesn't matter because each half communicates across the wire with the other. But split brains can't and thus you can show just the right brain a word, ask the person what did you see and you'll hear nothing. Because left speaking brain saw nothing. Meanwhile, right brain will use its hand to pick the object out of a pile hidden from left brain. Give right brain an object, ask the person what's in your hand and they won't be able to say. I'm not holding anything. And when asked to draw, a split brain can draw two separate objects simultaneously with each hand in a way unsplit brains find challenging. These experiments on split brain patients are deeply unsettling because they really point in the direction of a mute, separate intelligence something living in the skull. You can even ask questions of a split brain and get disagreement on the answer. So if your brain is split, who is the you in this situation? From the outside, it's tempting to think of the part of the brain that's speaking as the person, but something is hearing and answering questions. And though right brain can't speak, it does understand faces, which left brain can't. If this is you, you don't know who your friends and family are in a crowd. This act of cutting exposes two minds in one head, and the talking mind doesn't know there's someone else in the house. The left brain can describe the situation it's in, but nonetheless will constantly be surprised by right brain's actions and explain them away. There's a question to be asked here. Why, after separation, does right brain not totally freak out, but instead plays along helpfully, answering questions and listening to left brain's dumb stories about what's happening? It's the best pony? I don't know. Speculation time. But one answer is the cutting doesn't make right brain a separate intelligence, consciousness, person, but rather it has 
always been. In normal people, perhaps right brain grows up as a companion without a choice, feeling at first somewhat equal partners, but then as speech develops that it can't participate in, that increasingly becomes the central point of life, it resigns to mutely coordinate with left brain. At this moment in your normal head, there are two of you watching this video. One having a mind equals blown moment and the other mentally rolling its eye at the obviousness of it all. In split brains, right doesn't freak out because not a whole lot has really changed. You might not agree and may be arguing right now why it can't be possible exactly as we would expect talking left brain to do. Speculation aside, split brain patients show at the very least that in the mind there is a separate something that can hear and understand and respond given the right circumstances. Your brain isn't entirely yours. Who is you? You is too. You are literally a divided person. And the truth is, you already knew that. We've known that for centuries. And you got to admit, it's actually a little humorous when science confirms something that shocks us until the moment we realize that we've actually known it for thousands of years. I've been told that the average person speaks upwards of possibly 50,000 words a day to themselves. Someone close to me once said that those 50,000 words a day to themselves are not very nice. Eckhart Tolle is a spiritual writer and speaker, and, and he told about the time he had hit rock bottom in his own life. And he said he found himself in despair and depression one night, lying alone in a hotel bed, saying, I can't live with myself anymore. And it occurred to him. Who is the I and who is the myself that the I can't live with? You know what this is like. This is the classic devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. This is when we say, you know, part of me wants to do this and the other part of me wants to do that. Spoiler, you're telling the truth. Do you know anyone who has issues? <laughs> Essentially, what you probably mean when you say that is that person's hemispheres don't get along with each other. That person has thoughts or feelings suppressed in one side that the other side is battling with so that they aren't consistent. Their words aren't consistent with their actions, or maybe their words aren't consistent at some times with their words at other times. And you see this non-consistent, or they're using non-verbals like rage and anger, passive-aggressive behavior, instead of just communicating healthily because we are a divided people. But do you know somebody who has integrity? In math class, uh, we talk about integers, which are whole numbers. That Latin word that means whole or complete. Who do you know that you would say has integrity? You know, my dad is the first person that comes to mind. Uh, a person with integrity is somebody who always says what they mean and means what they say. There's somebody who always keeps the same character and the same person about them no matter where they go. They don't have any need to impress other people or to act a certain way in front of other people just so that they can get something from them. They know who they are and they can freely speak it. But for you to have integrity, the two you's inside your head have to be integrated. 
And that's what this series is about. Your brain has three main sections, sort of. The higher you go, the more human functions are controlled, and the lower you go, the more it controls what we might call our animal-like actions. So the bottom around your brain, uh, your brain stem, is sometimes called your reptilian or your lizard brain because it's the most ancient and is basically something that all animals have. It, it what, it's what controls your completely subconscious body reactions, uh, your heartbeat, your intestines, your hormones, all of the things that you can't control and aren't aware are happening. This forms earliest and is most critical to your survival. And it's a really good thing that we can't control this because we would really jack this up if we could control our own heartbeat with our conscious brain. So the middle part is called your limbic system. It's where your feelings arise from. It's where your emotions are sort of stored. It's ways that you act and are mostly aware of, but this part of your brain often controls us and drives us when we're not thinking about it too. It's something you can avoid and even go long periods of time without tapping into it, but you can also connect to it and listen to it, and that is monumentally important. Now the top part has a ton of names. I'll call it your thinking brain. It's where your consciousness mostly lies and you process deep thoughts. It's where we do intellectual work and process language and visual stimulation. Now, there's sort of a basic rule here that we find in brain science, and it's this. The lower you go in your brain, the less aware you are of what is actually controlling you, yet the more fundamental that is to who you are, the more that part is controlling you. I had a kid in my class the first week of school who swore to me that he doesn't get scared of anything. And I could tell he actually believed himself. And I knew the moment he said it, oh, this kid's life is actually controlled by what he's scared of. Because that which you aren't aware of or don't acknowledge is that which controls you the most. People who think they never get mad are the ones who are actually controlled the most by stored anger. You show me somebody who is cold and unemotional, and I'll show you someone who is imprisoned by emotions they aren't even aware of. This is one reason why talking is so important. Not thinking about it, not meditating on it, not even praying on it silently, but actually talking out loud is so important. And it's why I'm going to do an entire episode on words. In order to get those feelings out to the world to connect with another human being, we have to use words. One, because it makes us healthy, but two, because that's how people understand us and can connect back with us. Sometimes we can express it in other ways, like art and music and pictures, but think about it. Words are the primary way that humans connect with each other. Words make up our laws, they make up our textbooks, they make up the Bible and other sacred literature, and they, they make up our Twitter posts. It's how we really understand the world. 
Now here's what's fascinating. Only half of you can talk. If you heard the video, the left hemisphere can talk. And even more fascinating, it's mostly the other half of you that's deeply connected to your emotions and what tends to be really controlling you. Like your right hemisphere does all that. And it reads faces. So think about this. Somebody could give you a look. You could have a feeling about that that controls sort of your persona. And you could react to that, give them a look back, and yet completely be unable to speak about it. I want you to imagine a flow chart. Now, at the bottom is your brain stem, and above that is an arrow pointing up to the thing above it, which is your limbic system. And above that, it's connected to your right hemisphere, and above that is your left hemisphere, and above that is the outside world, the people around you. Brainstem, limbic system, right hemisphere, left hemisphere, world, in that order. If you want to connect the deepest parts of you to the people around you and be known and connected and loved, it all has to flow in one direction. From your emotions to your right to your left to speak it to the world. But what if our left hemisphere decides to go into protection mode? It becomes afraid to say what's going on with righty, or what kinds of emotions we're feeling, or what we did last Saturday night. We have a traffic jam. We were supposed to be pouring out into others, and connecting and giving back to the world, but instead we become enthralled in this inner battle. Half of us is dying to be heard, and the other half is refusing to talk for fear of what may happen because you just don't even know what you think, maybe. You ever been here before? We withdraw. We disconnect. We shut down. Sometimes we're not even aware of what our emotions are looking like from the outside. Maybe we become passive-aggressive, and we have this inner battle that rages on inside. We, we get all backed up inside, and we start to drain energy from the people around us. You know these people? <laughs> you know people that like whenever they walk into the room, you can't even put your finger on it, but you just feel like you've had the energy sucked out of you because that coworker of yours or that relative at the Thanksgiving table showed up and there's all of this stuff going on and there's just like spewing out this stuff and you just feel worse when you leave. I hate to say it, but sometimes we can be the person that makes the other people feel worse around us. But the world needs us to be healthy. Some people, we call them energy vampires because they're not pouring into the world. It's like they suck the energy out of you. You ever try to sort out uh, two kids who are fighting with each other? parents, you know what this is like. It is exhausting to try to get two kids to quit fighting with each other. Well, some people are trying to get the two kids in your head to stop fighting with each other, and they don't even realize it, that that's what they're doing. They're trying to get the two yous to stop all of the squabbling, and it's sucking the energy out of them. The world needs us to be healthy. Do you know the world needs us now more than ever? The world needs the two inside of each of us to be integrated and working together more than ever. 
you know, we've often talked about uh, if you want to get married, you you know, I've heard the line about you need to be a whole person. The other person can't complete you. You know, you have to be whole before you get married to the other person. Uh, and then we say things like, you know, it's really hard work being married. Well, guess what? It's hard work being a human. Like, being single is not any picnic either. But I found out, I think, that what happens is whenever we get in a relationship with somebody else, it presses us. Whenever we get close to somebody and try to be intimate with somebody for a long period of time, it sort of puts pressure on us, and it exposes all of the ways that we haven't been a whole person the whole time. And it's why it can be really, really easy for a single person to spiral into depression depression or something like that because they've had issues the whole time and it's no easier to solve the issues whether you're single or whether you're married. They just often happen in a different way and they come out in a different way. It's hard work being a human because you got to get all of your junk out into the light and you've got to be able to speak it to somebody else. You know, the light is where you and I wanted to be all along. Like, you want to be fully loved and fully known? Like, you know that. You ever met somebody at peace? You ever met somebody who is a great giver? That's probably the same person. You know somebody with joy and integrity? Somebody who fills you up instead of draining from you? Somebody that you want to go back and be around? We would say that person is comfortable in their own skin. They, they get along with themselves. And what I'm saying today, please know I am fully and deeply aware, is really easy to hear, and it will seem really easy to do, and yet you will find it remarkably difficult if you actually try it. It's going to be a little bit like trying a diet. A diet should not be hard. All you have to do is not eat crap, and it works. Like, on paper, it's one simple step. Do not eat crap. It's not complex, but how many of us find ourselves over and over again trying to do this thing that's extremely simple? It's a bit like trying to be honest. It's just hard. You try it over and over again, and you find yourself skirting around it. But there's a way that is possible. And I want to convince you today that it is totally worth it to begin unifying the two yous in order to move in the same direction because it will change everything. And the way that you can start doing that is to start at the top and to find words. This is so important that I'm going to spend an entire episode about it, but think about it. Words are how we transfer empathy and love and stories and what's going on inside my brain to your brain and what's going on in your brain back to my brain. Words are the pathway of human connection because words give us the capacity for empathy because words open up the door for stories. Now, if empathy is going to work... Words have to actually reflect what's going on in both halves of our brains. They have to be honest. All right, not just one half of our brain. That's why I tell my kids all the time you can do all kinds of bad things, but please be honest because we can fix anything else. But honesty may be the toughest thing 
to fix. The more we use words to accurately describe our inner self, the more that empathy is possible and the more we can find connection and family and understanding and the more we can motivate people. Words were the birth of societies and cities and people working together. Everything that we will ever accomplish as humans or do as a society will always be built on honest words. And so I want to challenge you to use your words. Unraveling all of that inner junk is not easy, but it starts here. You know, the early Greeks had a a, a word for this. It was the word homologeo, which literally means to same speak, to say the same thing. Now, it could actually mean to agree with others, but here's the really interesting thing. It also meant to confess which means to agree with the reality within you. You could be agreeing with others or agreeing with yourself, and it's the same word in the ancient Greeks, to say what's really happening. If you're a a Christian, you know this. The, The earliest Christians were huge into confession. It was a revolutionary practice the way they did it. Confessing to each other was such a big deal because they believed that in their communities there was grace. Now, I've worked with a ton of kids with all kinds of mental, psychological issues, and any time I have a kid who's having a meltdown, my only goal every time is to get them to use their words. I did it today. I did it yesterday. I do it almost every day. They'll be yelling in rage or anger. They're having blubbery tears everywhere. I mean, this happens quite a bit. They will not get out of their messed up state and move on with life and be able to regulate and be happy and find joy again until they can express themselves with words and that's when things get better. Now using words can be embarrassing because underneath all of our words and sophistication we are still savage animals underneath it. We still have this really, really strong need to survive. We have this sex drive and this appetite for more food and more money and more power and it drives us and we can feel certain ways and if we can't find words for that, we will stuff it. We were designed, though, to be a people who build a community, who work together to build a certain kind of world. And it's the kind of world that I want to live in, and I think you do too. And I've said it for a long time, even before I knew anything about brains, Christians, that the church could have all kinds of issues and still be fine, but we would destroy our work in the world if we aren't honest. And sadly, so many people, when they think of honest people, the last people they think of is us. But honesty and openness have to be the cornerstone of the church. The thing about confession that I said earlier is that you can only confess if you believe there is grace. If you believe the universe is out to get you, you are going to stuff it all inside. This is why three-year-olds will always lie when they are accused. Like, you remember the brain in the video? Like, you, you, your brain will make up something to explain what happened. And you knew this. Like, you show me a young child who lies a lot, and I will show you a child whose parents accuse a lot. 
I mean, this is the same reason why you always have an excuse, even if it's kept in your head, when a cop pulls you over. Like, you may never tell the cop, you'll tell yourself, right? Like, I've had long conversations in my head with cops who never pulled me over. I just see them, and I'll start coming up with an excuse. You know what Satan's name is in the Bible? The the accuser. Um, he was called at one point in the scriptures, the father of lies, you know what I always thought that meant? I thought that that was like he was like the head of a group of liars and he was the best liar. But a father is someone who creates. Like, um, I was going to say the, the phrase give birth, but my wife assures me that fathers do not give birth. But it works better. Uh, but you get the point. An accuser gives birth to liars. If you accuse someone, you are creating a liar in them. But a grace giver gives birth to confessors. So all the while we are trying to be more whole, we have to be the type of people who give grace. No matter what your background is, no matter what you believe, you've got to believe in giving grace because giving grace is the only thing that allows your fellow human beings to open up and to be honest and to come out and to be who they are all the way through and through. Things began to change for my marriage the night I was standing in the garage and the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. I don't, I don't know what it was. Um, it was not an audible voice, but, but I just kind of heard inside of me, Seth, if you ever wanted to get better, you have to be 100% honest, not 90%, not 95%, not 99%, 100%. And you know, that number scared me. 100, like I can do 99. I, well, actually, I probably couldn't at the time, but uh, 90, 95 is okay. I can tell most things, but that extra little bit made all the difference in the world. 100% honest. So um, a, a couple of steps that I just wanted to leave you with, like some actual steps that we could actually start to do to work toward the direction of being somebody who's honest, who is uh, full of integrity, and whose brain is working all together. Maybe the first step is to confess some ways that you have screwed it up. Uh, to just talk about with somebody in a safe place. We talk about it all the time as uh, Christians in church, confess your sins. Like, But even if you're not a Christian, like you can't live a life of pretense that you have it all together. Um, you know, Christians, we, we say confess your sins, but we are historically terrible at it, at least in recent history. N not that you have sinned. Like everybody likes to talk about, yeah, I'm not perfect. No, no, no. Actually confess your sin. Like talk about the things that you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis that aren't good, that aren't right, that aren't how you want to live. Tell somebody. Admit the ways that you're imperfect. Not the ways that you messed up six months ago. I mean like today, like yesterday, okay? Like that way that you're constantly reacting the same way. How about just admitting that you do that? You know, here's the thing. You may not feel like you're going to get a lot of grace. That may be the most intimidating thing ever. But when you do it, you might be amazed at how simple it was right after all. 
Like, what if you did it and everything was still okay on the other side of it? Uh, but I want to push you beyond that because um, we don't just need to confess the ways that we've messed things up, but we have to learn to be a people who discusses, who talks about our past hurts. Not what we've done to other people or how we've made a mess, but what other people have done to us. So that's the second thing. You think about some of the things that other people have done to us. We call it forgiveness because we're affected by other people too. And if we don't find words, we'll hold them hostage as well. But we're really just holding ourselves hostage. Now listen, some of us need to go to our family members and confess how they messed us up early on in life and let them know and forgive them. Some of you need to write a letter to your ex-spouse and let them know how much they hurt you and then let it go. Tell them you forgive them. Begin that process. It's a long process sometimes. Actually have this theory that we really all actually need to go to our biological parents at some point in our lives and tell them the ways that they messed up and that it's okay and that you forgive them and you're not going to be chained by that and that's actually a way of honoring your parents even though at the time it may seem like the most inconsiderate thing to do. Some of you may actually need to show up at the gravesite of someone who died decades ago and tell them those things you always wanted to say and never did and then let it go. Because otherwise it's going to stay down here. Not the day. This is the one that's so easy to put off to another day. It's, it's like, yeah, I'll organize my sock drawer one day and then that, that day I'll forgive that person. But no, do it today. Quit waiting. And, th and then the third thing we need to do is uh, to confess our current self. So not just like the things that have happened in the past with us or with other people, but to confess our current state of mind. And this is called our feelings. You have to confess what's going on right now and learn how to connect what you're feeling with words. And I've got a whole episode on emotions coming up. Uh, I was 27 years old, and I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and I have no idea what prompted it, but that particular night, I just began to realize all the things that my parents had done that weren't perfect early in my life that I was still frustrated about. Now, for the record, I did not have a terrible childhood. I really had great parents. There was no like major trauma in my life. But I was in the middle of exploring this concept of forgiveness, and I just realized, you know, all of these little things, I had never forgiven them, and I had held on to them, and somehow they had spiraled, and I was just passive-aggressive, angry. I would made snarky comments. I was pretending to be a, a Christian, and I was a minister at the time, and I was, uh, I was just holding on to all of this stuff, and I was like, I can be so nice to all these people way out in the world, and I've got like networks of friends all over the place, but the people closest to me in my life I was still angry with somewhere deep down inside. And, and you know, I could make peace at holidays and all of that, but I didn't really want to be around. And I just laid there in bed that night, and I cried for what may have been one of the 
first real cries I had had since my childhood. And I'll be honest, like, I didn't have the guts to go to them. Uh, and so I wrote them a letter that night. Now, here's the really important thing. Um, I had to do a couple of things. A, not candy coat it. Like, it's so tempting in that moment, whenever you're going to tell somebody some ways that maybe they've done something wrong to you, to candy coat it, um, to pretend like, you know, to soften it a little bit because you don't want to hurt their feelings. But no, you can't candy coat it. This is how bad it really is inside of me. And, and then B, I would be willing to say, um, I forgive you. And, and so I'm not holding back that little part of it for later, all right? Because if you do either of those, or if you don't do either of those things, and you soften it, or you don't forgive them, then you're just holding on to some of it for later. And you don't want to hold on to that. Here's the question. Do you believe in grace? Um, <clears throat> if you do, you can talk about your feelings with anybody, at least in theory, Um Grace does not lie about somebody's situation. It speaks life into it. It sees the original life of that little boy or little girl deep down inside of us all, and it calls out the good motives in people, and it lets the bad ones starve. If you believe in grace, it will set you free to open up your hands and everything deep down inside. <laughs> let it out. And if the world doesn't give us uh, very good reasons to believe in grace, maybe we could be believe in it anyways. You know, we might be surprised if we take a chance. That's what I want to challenge you to do. There was a friend of mine who was in a class that I taught recently, and the class was on how we live out of the events of our past. And we were talking later, and he told me that he had one huge aversion, and it was hospitals. He was not going to go into a hospital. He had spent a huge chunk of his childhood in hospitals with a very close family member who had spent years in a hospital and finally died at a very young age. And he said, I hate them. I won't go into them. I've avoided them, and I haven't set foot in one since I was a teenager. And without even thinking about it, the first thing out of my mouth was, Dude, you are an EMT. What do you mean you won't go into hospitals? And he got this look on his face as he was realizing that this thing he had been avoiding his entire life had actually driven him to live in reaction to it, even to the point of choosing the very career that left him on the other side of the fence peeking in. What if hospitals didn't have to be a place where things always ended badly? And so for you... What if the things you've been avoiding don't have to control you anymore? Rob Bell tells about the time he was in ministry. He was a megachurch pastor for a long time, and he found himself at the head of this rapidly growing church, and things were crazy and busier than ever, and he was just going, 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 and fried. And a friend was having lunch with him, and he said, How's it going? And he said, oh man, I'm fine, it's just crazy busy, you know, i got all these things going on. And his friend said, you know, Rob, you don't have to live this way anymore. And Rob said, yeah, 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 right, I know. I mean, it's just, I've got things with the kids and things, all these meetings at work and all this stuff going on. And he said, Rob, you don't have to live this way anymore. And Rob said, well, well, I know, man, it's just, I've got things at home and I've got lots going on with the kids at home and I've got meetings and I've got people that I got to answer to and he said Rob you don't 
have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. So let me ask you this. Uh, what kind of world do you want to build? Do you want to build a world where we mark off our boundaries and we keep others out and we segregate others and we even segregate our own selves? Or do we want to build a world with something beautiful together? Do we want to work together to achieve things greater than we've ever achieved? I don't know about you, but I think I do know about you. That's the kind of world I want to build. And that's the kind of world that will be built when we use our words. Part two is coming up next. It's called Words. Thanks for listening. Love y'all.